comes You better watch your step She's going to break your heart in two It's not hard to realize Look into her false-colored eyes She'll build you up just to put you down What a kind Everybody knows the things she does to you. Look out! The lever! Get away from that lever! You'll blow us all to atoms! Welcome everyone, this is another episode of That Record Got Me. Hi, I'm your host Rob Elba. I'm here in Los Angeles now and I have a guest that's also on the West Coast, so we're on the same time zone, so that's kind of cool. I'd like to welcome to the show, patron of the show from San Francisco, California, Eric Arbach. Welcome to the show, Eric. Hey Rob, thank you so much. I'm uh, happy to be here. It's been uh, a fun listen over the last couple of years and now it's exciting to actually be here and talk about a record that got me high. Yeah, yeah. Eric's been, uh, you've uh, done some of the episodes, some of the uh, patron episodes, right? But this is your first uh, guest appearance. So what's your story, yeah. Eric? I, once again, you know, when I have people, <laughs> patrons on, I just, all I know is that Eric's in San Francisco. I know nothing. So uh, what's your story? <laughs> my my story. Well, um, not not super exciting, but um, I, right. I, I, I used to be more in the music world. I was a college DJ for years. I did a lot of music photography. Photography is sort of where my main background has been. Um, I worked with bands. I was a band manager for years, which is actually how I got to meet our, our mutual friend, Steve Michener. Oh, okay. Right, right. You're a Steve Michener uh, connection. Okay. Yeah, and I, I managed a band called The Sneeches. I'm walking on air when you are late 80s through the early 90s and we actually did a tour with big dipper um oh nice uh, for part of the u.s like from kansas through the east coast and got to know steve really well through that um and then uh after he left big dipper and moved to san francisco he ended up helping out the sneeches quite a bit just as a uh, roadie and friend and um just got to know him that way so yeah, involved in the music world back then. Thankfully, got out of the music world. Yeah, um, smart, smart. It's not a, a great place to be. It's not for so, the timid, right? <laughs> no, no, and it's it's just also largely kind of gross. And so I I returned to being a music fan and um, friend and and yeah. listener. And it's it's awesome to go to a show now. And just go and see the band that you want to see and enjoy the music and not worry about who you're going to see and who you're going to talk to. And, right. you know. Yeah, yeah, no. Crap, so. I hear you. I pretty much don't. You know, I've been playing music, playing in bands for like 30 years. But it's, yeah, I'm pretty much out of that. And it's, yeah, it is great just to go to a show, even uh, like a local show, small show, but to know, well... I don't have to do anything. I don't have to worry about getting somebody getting paid. I don't have to, you know, haul any amps into uh, cars and shit. So uh, yeah, it's great. Exactly. <laughs> much, much, much less painful and dangerous. <laughs> All right. So Eric, what is the album? What's the band that we're talking about tonight? 
So uh, the album I wanted to talk about was by uh, an amazing band from Australia called The Trippids, and it's their um, their album Born Sandy Devotional, which is kind of the uh, centerpiece of their recorded career. Right, um, right. Yeah, and, and uh, once again, a guest brings a band that I, I think... I've heard of before, and then I realized, I, I didn't think I heard any of them, but then I realized in going through the record, oh shit, there is a song that I had actually know, uh, knew and heard before. But, so how do you get into, they're, uh, they're from uh, like Perth, Australia, right? And and, yeah. and they're obviously well-known there, well-known in Australia, they're, but they're, you know, uh, not that known uh, throughout the, the rest of the world, I would imagine, although I'm sure they have fans all over. But how do you become a fan of the uh, Triffids? Um, so I was always a fan of like obscure bands. Like I was one of those guys and I still am. Like I'm always the one that likes to search out, you know, the independent band, look for the things on small labels. And I, um, you know, I never had the benefit of, of having an older sibling that was into music. Right. I am the older sibling and my younger sibling has like kind of terrible taste in music. So, um, and I can say that because I'm sure they'll never listen to this. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I had a really good friend um, back in the early 80s who I'm still friends with, a guy named Brad Orgeron, who was in loads of bands here. Brad, like, listened to everything. He was, like, the guy that constantly made mixtapes um, or mixed CDs as time went on, constantly turning myself and uh, friends onto new bands. He was really into a lot of, like, music that was happening in the UK and Australia. We connected music he was in a band i worked with his band and he just he played me um he actually played me i think the first thing i ever heard by the triffids was their um the single that came out right before born sandy devotional which was a single called field of glass like this epic, doorsy, super long, kind of bombastic, like, trip that was just like this, kind of an assault, like, kind of like the doors, the velvets, the, you know, the birthday party, like, all these things, like, rolled into one, and right. remember getting really excited about it, um, Born Sandy Devotional came out, he played me the Wide Open Road single, which was, like, the big, the big hit from the album, hit in air quotes, and just fell in love with the album early on. And it was kind of like unlike anything else I'd ever heard. You know, I was really into a lot of Australian music, other bands like The Saints. I was into the go-betweens already. Right, right. There's a cat in my alleyway Dreaming of birds that are blue Sometimes go when I'm lonely This is how I think about you there You know, there were some great bands coming out of Australia at the time. It died pretty um scientists all these bands and um and yet like the triffids when i heard them it was like this sounds like nothing else i'd ever heard yeah yeah that's sort of the uh you know i, I didn't know because i'm going into a cold and i'm listening to it i have no idea what they're going to sound like and then i was kind of thinking you know it took me a couple of things uh through to say well what are they like because you hear little bits you know at some points uh the the the, the singer songwriter david McComb has this voice he can sound like nick cave a little he has this a baritone this deep baritone so sometimes and then they are kind of 
poppy in a way so a go-betweens you could hear maybe some of that but yeah they're definitely um in and of themselves which is uh, i always appreciate like especially bands that come from maybe uh this sort of um wide open isolated area you you sort of feel like they become their own thing and they, and they don't have a lot of other you know they don't have a lot of other bands to copy or to sound like and they sort of forge their own their own way and I feel like it ends up, especially this album, it, uh, you could sort of tell that it was written uh, David McComb. Even though he's not writing specifically about Australia, you get this, like, he's, you know, he's singing these stories, these, like, dark little stories, tales, but you also get the feeling of, like, isolation and, you know, being apart from everything else, and, and that's sort of all in there. Yeah, no, totally. And I think that, you know, they... It's interesting, because Dave McComb... He was like born in 1962, and so he start and he started the band early on. Like the 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 first incarnations of the band started back when he was in high school with the drummer Alcee McDonald, and they actually called themselves Dalzy for uh, lack of a better name at the time, and that was like in '76. Oh wow! And and they were kind of just doing their own thing, like super experimental, really primitive. Um, eventually, his brother Rob, um, older brother Rob, joined on guitar and violin. And the band slowly started to form and, and they they were kind of like, even though they had all these influences that they were really proud of, you know, really, he was always into Bowie, into the Velvets, into, um, you know, other bands from that, you know, from that era, um, bands that were sort of on the edge, super into the New York punk scene, like television, um, Richard, Richard Hell. Betrayal takes two, who did it? To who? I mean, not to be cut by your dull point of view. Well, feelings will change. Just distilling it all into the same thing, and and you know, one of the things that they always got got sort of labeled as was being this Australian band and doing this very Australian-sounding songs. And um, the the funny thing is, this record was actually recorded in England, right? And yet right? It's yeah. The most Australian album that they did. Yeah, yeah. I saw it in. Uh... 1985, and it was produced by who? It was produced by, by, uh, by Gil Norton. Norton. Yeah, 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 who produced uh, uh, Pixies, Echo and the Bunnymen, Bunny yeah, yeah, a whole, a whole bunch of people, and yeah. yeah, right, but it's still, even though they recorded it in London, you wouldn't, if, if I hadn't have known that, I, I just, there was no way I'd know that, because yeah, it still has that sound, like I said, and, and also, I don't know um, if you feel like this, I feel like there's a theatricality to this record almost like as yeah. if it's a soundtrack to some play yeah right no and and actually it's 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 interesting you say that because i i've always lumped this record in with like being very cinematic yeah and I yeah always, oh yeah for I, sure i think about it like with peter weir films you know like a film like picnic at hanging rock that's what this album reminds me of is like this super dark really weird mysterious um, definitely feels like a soundtrack. There's a story. Um, one of the things McComb talked about was before this record was their first couple records they did and singles. These, those were always like collections of songs that they, they just put together for a record. But this was the first record that they went in with like this intention of like a concept and a certain vibe. You know, he set out to create this piece of music with this theme of like unrequited love. Right. You right. know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and just this, you know, one of the things that I love that he said was it's, you know, that he was devoted to the idea of devotion and in love with the idea of being in love. 
you know, so he he built the the songs on this album around it. And it's really cool if you go back and, you know, these albums have all been really lovingly reissued and remastered and with bonus tracks as they do. And But, you know, when you go back and look at the liner notes from the reissues, you can see like his handwritten notes of like outlining the song order and how he had like imagined which songs would go where, which songs would have, you know, be recorded live, which songs were story songs versus which songs were song songs. Right. And, you know, this is a guy who, I mean, this record was done in, when he was 23. And, um, you know, w- when he first started playing in the band, he was 14. Oh, wow. And so, you know, you hear about all these bands who like, you know, this sort of the usual story with most bands is, you know, they they basically put everything they've got into their first album. And then after that, it's kind of like second album's not so great. Third album might be questionable. And in, in this case, for the Triffids, they kind of like this album, this was their third album. And they, this is what they were building up to. And right. this was unlike everything else that they had done before it. The musicianship, the, you know, that by this, by the, before they started this album, Martin P. Casey, who later went on to be in The Bad Seeds, um, was their bass player. Um, he became a real important part of it. They added a keyboard player, Jill Burt. And the big thing they kind of threw in that was like so unusual too is but right before they did this album, they added a pedal steel player who didn't know how to who, who claimed to not know how to play pedal steel and they, <laughs> and they said that's okay we don't want you to play country we don't want you to play we want you to do other things we want you to be atmospheric and to oh do yeah so that's uh this is evil i don't know why his nickname's evil but evil graham lee and yeah that uh, the instrumentation just adds so much uh the uh, pedal and lap steel that he plays and the violin of Robert McComb, and then Jill Burt's uh, keyboards too. Uh, yeah. They, yeah. So they sort of, yeah, they sort of just all came together. I mean, David McComb is obviously the uh, leader and the songwriter, but yeah, he put this band together, and yeah, you could tell the whole album is very meticulously put together. I listened to the reissue, and there are a lot of extra songs, but I always love. I really like the ten song album, the original album. It really feels like a, a piece. Yep. Like I said, it feels very theatrical and 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 it was done as an album. Like when you think about like the side one and side two of the album, like you know, and we'll get into that. But you know, the the, the songs that sort of open and close each side um are really intentional and really important. And then the song that ends the album. Yes. You know. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. really thought out and kind of like you say it's like this soundtrack it's like it tells this you know story throughout you know of of these different different like little vignettes and different stories yeah all kind of coming back to this idea of like unrequited love right 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 yeah because uh, even though some of the music i mean it sounds very you know uh, uh, some of it's uh, poppy some of it's um you know kind of up sounding but ultimately uh, the lyrics yeah it's dark and it's very melancholy it's got a, the whole album has a very yeah. melancholic feel I feel like he was uh he was known you know one of the things and I was you know I've been listening to this album for like obviously close to 40 years now and and you know going back and like listening to it again for this doing like research you know watching stuff online and there's an amazing documentary that came out about the band a couple years ago and um that's on dvd and just you know one of the things that kind of keeps coming up from people is that he always put the song first and most often to the detriment of everything else, including like his relationships and his own health. Oh, right, right. So, you know, but it was all about the song. Everything had to be about what serves the song. And yeah. Then, you know, it's like, you can tell. You listen to this and you can tell. You can. All right. So let's get into it. Let's start out with the majestic sweeping opener. This is The Seabird. No foreign pair of 
From the start, like you were saying, there is the uh, the guitar, the pedal steel, and the lap steel, and the violins, but not a countryish at, at all. They they make like the the violin. They basically sounds like a string section. I mean, I'm assuming they you know they stacked this violin and did that, and then with the lap steel as as well uh, and the pedal steel, it's just got its own sound. And it just makes it all sound very cinematic and full. Yeah, and you know, I think that um the fact that it's not like you know. It, it, it can get bombastic and it, it, you know, but they really work on these, like these dynamics, you know, and having these, you know, like sort of starting it the way it starts with the sweeping entry, you know, into right, like right. atmospherics and, you know, and, and it, it's cool because one of the things that he did was, was he took, he basically put reference points for the band to all listen to and for Gil Norton to listen to before they recorded the album for, either like vibe or feel or just sound he wanted. And so on this song, for example, he wanted the lead guitar to sound like friction from television. listen to it and it's like this sounds nothing like friction from television but this was something that he had in his head like he wanted that sort of like to that solo right right and, right um, you know i think you know just like making an orchestra out of a violin and a pedal steel basically and a keyboard that's not a synthesizer like that was the other thing is that the the keyboards were not synthesizer parts they weren't emulating other instruments they were always very much about being a keyboard an organ or whatever that sound might be right yeah and the lyrics basically like a narrative poem like telling the story of a man who uh, separates from his wife and then he gets drunk and then he attempts suicide by swimming out too far in the ocean um but it's all like it's all so pretty when you hear it and then you're reading the lyrics and they, they are dark especially uh Towards the end, it gets very dramatic and tragic. He, he, he called out to the seabirds, take me now, I'm no longer afraid to die. But they pretended not to hear him and just watched him with their hard and bright black eyes. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's like, 
It's it's intense, and you know, and even the the line of "Are you drinking to get maudlin? Are you drinking to get numb?" Right. You know, like like that looking at yourself and looking at somebody, like you know, what's the point? Like, are you drinking, you know, because you're you want to get sad, you know, get depressed, you want to get dark and gloomy, or you know, you just want to kill the pain? Right, right, right. All right. So, and then on this next one, we get uh, again left from Graham Lee that really nice pedal steel uh, guitar and some more like the narrative uh, poetry. I think that uh, a lot of these songs are like, uh, like I said, like narratives. And uh, let's listen to a little uh, estuary bit. The children are walking back from the Did, did these guys tour uh, here in in the states at all? They never played the states. They, um, never they did. were so, they were actually supposed to play. I remember this really well. They were supposed to come here and open for Susie and the Banshees um, at the Greek Theater in Berkeley um, after their next album, Calendar, had come out, and um, the tour got canceled. I can't remember if it was the Banshees canceled. I think the whole tour fell apart, but they never came and. One of my like big regrets in life is I never got to see them live. I um I've seen plenty of videos. I have friends that saw them in London. Um, friends I have friends in Australia who saw them. Oh, you know, another friend wow. of mine from Perth. You know, um, knew them and saw them in the early days and um and over the years. And just from what you can see online and the videos, like they were just such a powerful band live. Yeah, but also. They also had this like crazy goofy side where they would do these weird covers and oh really? But you know, but uh, when they would do their songs, like they still they treated them like with the respect. They kind of they gave them the instrumentation. You know, they didn't obviously have like a glockenspiel live or vibraphones live. So you know, they would have they would have other parts sort of filling those gaps. But you know, the rhythm section of Alcee McDonald and and Martin Casey were just such a solid rhythm section and, and just would like anchor the band and you know live yeah. especially like you could hear the bass is just such a driving force throughout all of this yeah and and this album's so good and then yeah i'm, I'm thinking you, you know of course like we say a lot why don't more people know about this band why didn't they get bigger but that's a big thing but it's funny reading in reading uh interviews i've read some things about david mccomb he didn't really as you said he seemed to care more just about the music he didn't care so much about the business and about fame and all that he cared about yeah. uh yeah the songs and and making great songs and making a great record 
record, but yeah, he just wasn't, you know, as interested in that, which is obviously probably why they didn't uh, pursue it more, you know, getting, you know, they they even moved to England, you know, they moved to England before, you know, in 84, thinking that that's what you had to do. And they, so, you know, all these other Australian bands like the go-betweens and the birthday party and the Buddhist scientists and the saints and, you know, they all had moved to England because that's where the scene was and, and the Triffids did it. And when they arrived, they, you know, they actually made like a real impression and even were like on the cover of the NME as 1985 was going to be the year of the Triffids. I saw that. Yeah, I saw and, that. <laughs> and, you know, they had like, there was all this buildup. This record was going to, you know, the idea was this was going to be their major label debut and then nobody bought it. No, no right. majors wanted them. And so they said, all right, screw it. We're right. just going to do it ourselves. And this will be the record that gets us the major label. And that's what happened. Oh, right, right, right. You know, but in the meantime, this record came out on Rough Trade in England and um, it got, you know, it had distribution over here. It had, you know, and it, it, they did really well in Europe, but in the States, they were just like nobody. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, I can see that. Um, yeah, it's a shame. Uh, all right. So this next one, a chicken killer, maybe you have, so let's listen to it. Maybe you have some insight <laughs> because the lyrics are really great, but I still can't wrap my head around what he's actually singing about, but let's listen to a little bit of a chicken killer. A Nilta aimed a mister and Cross the fields where I love begin The ears of the corn began to melt and swim 2020 vision, 95% do Yeah, so just those opening lines, I knelt, I aimed, I missed, I ran across the field where our love began. The ears of corn began to melt and swim. 2020 vision, 95% dim. Uh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's funny. It's like probably the one song I think that most people will say is like potentially their least favorite song on the record. It's it's also like one of the most upbeat songs on the record. Yeah, well, it, it, as you were saying, they, they they had a goofy side, and this sounds like this is that goofy side right here. It, it, it is, and it's, you know, it's funny, because like when I was like looking through like the influences that he wanted for the song, he actually wanted this one to feel like I Can't Stand It by the Velvet Underground. Oh, okay, um, okay. I could, I which could you see kind that. of get. I could totally but you know, that. one of the things I, I, I really liked was it's like, it's kind of this catchy, catchy upbeat song. It's got like these sort of, you know, he had a lot of 60s girl group influences. Like he loved all those like 60s Motown bands. Right. Um, and then there's this, there's this kind of gospel feel to it. Like he's the preacher and the backing vocals are like the, you know, yeah, the gospel yeah. chorus. And I found, I found this really interesting um thing and a really interesting article about the record online um and 
I'll just read this really quick because I think it kind of sums up this song and it sort of explains a lot. And it says, uh, it certainly provides another permutation on the theme of unrequited love. The emotional fallout from love gone wrong is not always directed inward. Rather than seek consolation in isolation, the spurned lover will sometimes wildly lash out at those around him like a wounded animal. And not infrequently, the betrayed one's erstwhile object of affection becomes the target of vengeful fury, the kind of fire and brimstone ferocity dispensed by the Old Testament's fearful deity. Uh, Macomb's Chicken Killer is a case in point. An up-tempo beat drives this tragic narrative to its inexorable conclusion, and the taunting, almost childlike female vocals on the chorus provide an ironic counterpoint to the psychotic killer's quest for retribution. Wow! Like, like this this guy read deep into it. Obviously, he did. But, yeah, he really did. <laughs> you know, but but yeah, yeah. Like That's you think great. about it, it's like you know, like who goes around killing chickens, right? Like, right. You've obviously <laughs> to be a, a little a little messed up to 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 take out your aggression and anger on that. And so, you know, when you bring in this like sort of religious aspect of it, it kind of puts in a puts a little different perspective on the song for sure. Yep. And uh, and now we have a uh, keyboardist Jill Bird uh, taking a lead uh, vocal turn uh, for this next tragic little tale, uh, Tarlop Bridge. Which I don't know. It definitely with her singing kind of makes it sound like a, a a different band, like a completely different band. Uh, it's interesting, but let's listen to Tarlop. Because I really like I like the song and I like the music with the vibes and all that. But I don't know. She's got this like thin, uh, wispy voice, and I could really picture him singing it. So I'm just wondering why he uh, chose to have her sing this. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that um, the idea was because you know this sort of because of the fact that her voice was like you know what some might say is like untrained, and there's like this sort of naive innocence to the way she sings. And um, it's really almost like it's childlike in a way. And, yeah. you know, you you get this like really sort of a sweet voice over this kind of like haunting waltz like song. And, you know, the song is basically about suicide. Right. And, right. Right. And there's this, you know, the violin that goes through it reminds me of of like the knife scene in Psycho, um, you know, this sort of like stabbing sound. And, right. You know, and it's like, you know, the whole thing of like leaving a note on the fridge and she drove off the end of the Terrell bridge. And, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting was 
um, again, sort of this idea that like this is this Australian record and um, there is no such place as the Terrellet Bridge. It's a made up name. That he, oh, he did, okay. I was wondering. But it's, that. it's it's based on, I guess, some of the Aboriginal culture and communities. And he, he wanted to create this idea of this like, you know, anywhere sort of bridge um, in this like know nothing kind of little town. And, you know, it's got this weird kind of lilting rhythm that goes on. And it's so quiet and down after chicken killer especially yeah and then you've got this dark song and it's this innocent voice that's singing about suicide and i think that you know one of the real like geniuses of dave mccomb was also thinking about what would make the stronger impact like you said you could hear him singing it but then there's this you know there wasn't anything like well you know jill's got to sing two songs on the record or whatever it's like right right what, what would make the song seem more fucked up? What would sound what yeah, would be more yeah, yeah. weird? You know, and, and that's this idea of having this sort of innocent voice kind of talking right. about them. And it kind of, yeah, it, it does. Like I said, I, I appreciate the uh, sequence of the whole album. Uh, you could tell there was a lot of care done in the sequencing of it. And, it, and uh, yeah, it, it does definitely stand out a little because of it. But it, it especially because the next song, Lonely Stretch, this is this real haunting tune, but with him singing. And this is where I mentioned Nick Cave. And I feel like a kind of uh, reminiscent a little of uh, Nick Cave, the way he's singing it. But uh, but a really uh, a really cool haunting sounding song. This is to a little bit of lonely stretch. I took a wrong turn off of an unknown track. I did seven miles. I couldn't find my way back. Hit a lonely stretch. Must be losing my touch. I was out of my depth. Let me suffer. Well up in ocean, no distinguishing features. Any direction. That whole middle part with the noisy uh, guitar and then when he sort of digs into the vocals, that's like really, really good. Really sort of, like I said, haunting and kind of uh, disturbing in a way. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I know obviously because of the, the length of the podcast and everything, you can't play the, the songs. But uh, I know sometimes you're able to play things out later and just to hear how the song builds. And, oh, yeah. And, yeah, for sure. I'm going to play know, more of it. Yeah, because a lot of these songs do. They have. Uh, yeah, you're right. I, I, I can't play the whole song. But uh, yeah, the this one for sure definitely it's a little longer and it has this great yeah and i was sorry i was just gonna say you know you had mentioned you know like like nick cave and and interestingly one of his reference points for this song for the band to think about was the bat was the the, the birthday party song from code of eternity um and also at the same time uh he wasn't a, as as a, a you know guy coming from the indie rock world he wasn't afraid to also cite springsteen's state trooper Oh yeah, you know that that's so funny you say that because I thought right at the beginning especially it sounds like something that could have been on Nebraska. Yeah. New Jersey turn 
Neath the refinements blue Out where the great blood rivers pool and, and, and Nebraska was a record that, that he actually really liked and he would like drive his friends crazy like no 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 this is a Springsteen record you should like and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know one of his friends even commented that if Bruce Springsteen did the song it would have been a hit you know like oh, like wow. it would have been a totally different song but you know it's 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 a trip when you think about like you know the fact that Martin Casey joined the bad scenes later and you listen to the way the bass on this song is and how so many bad scene songs down the road are built around this like really driving like low throbbing bass and, right. you know and, and again the song has that like Christian imagery that he brings in he talks about St. Christopher um, he talks about retribution yeah 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 you know it's like and it's only you know and I didn't even think about this until just now but you know, you think about Tara Left Bridge and you hear the woman's voice talking about driving off the bridge and then you hear the male voice right after it talking about getting lost out on the lonely stretch and you start to think about this couple this like you know again the unrequited love like the couple both going their separate ways and how oh, they're right you right. know That's like good. they're both lost and they're both kind of getting to the sort of end of their ropes at that point and yeah that's good just, that's good the song is just like such an amazing like epic song and it's you know when i first this is the song that like will always be my go-to on this album. If I want to play somebody something that feels like, even though it doesn't represent the album. I mean, it's hard to pick one song off this record that you could say, oh yeah, this will give you a feel for what the album. Right, like. right, right. You know, and it, and again, like this was the last song on side one. Yes. So, you know, it builds and builds. You kind of go through this whole, the landscape, you know, the seabirds into the estuary bed. Um, you know, you're into this weird chicken killer. You get to the Terrellet Bridge and then you're on this lonely stretch. You're in this like deserted highway road. And it's just, it's just, again, it's just like such an epic cinematic sort of feel to it and the flow of it. Right. And then we f flip it over and this is it. I thought I had never heard the Trippids and then I'm listening to this next song wide open road and i knew this song and i've heard this i don't know if someone gave it to me it's been on a mixtape but i definitely know uh knew this song it, it's a great song but i guess this may be the song that people didn't think they knew the i think so and I, I feel like it probably had to get on college radio here at some point right you know? right and it's another again another dark take on this on this man relentlessly tracking the lover who betrayed him and uh yeah it's it's uh, it's great let's listen to a little bit of wide open road
such a such a cool song because the the music sounds kind of jaunty, but the lyrics are so dark. I love I love the part. I lost track of my friends. I lost my kin. I cut them off as limbs. I drove out over the flatland hunting down you and him. Uh, yeah. Great lyrics on this album. It's just like, this is sort of probably the closest indication of what was, you know, coming on some of their subsequent records. Um, oh, okay. you know, as far as this like epic kind of a, a an epic pop song. Right, right. But, you know, it's still, it's like, it starts off with this, like, very simple little drum machine going. You can hear his, like, whispered, you know, count off in the beginning of the song. And um, everything has its place. You know, every yep. every instrument has its place. And th- I actually was mistaken when I talked about somebody mentioning the last song, Lonely Stretch, could have been, you know, a Springsteen song. It was actually this song. Oh, Steve, okay, okay. Steve Kilby of, of the church actually said that um, that if, if Springsteen had done it it would have been it's the australian version of born to run and if springsteen had done it it would have been a hit ah well you've heard i mean that was my next thing i was gonna mention you've heard the uh, church uh, cover of it right their their version of it no i actually haven't oh all right well I'm, i may play that at the end of the episode but the church oh, okay. uh, have a really great somber uh acu- more acoustic cover of this song oh, okay yeah, so maybe oh, I'll, well, I'll play it on uh, the, my, uh, my friend brad would would uh would be pissed at me for not knowing the church song so <laughs> don't, don't, but yeah, it was, um, and it's interesting because, um, you know, when we can talk about this maybe a little later, but after um, Dave McComb had passed away and um, about 10 years ago, the remaining Triffids started doing some tribute performances um, of a lot of his music and Steve Kilby came out and did um, Field of Glass. Oh, nice, nice. The song and a couple other songs with them. And, you know, it just all showed how much like the Australian musicians really like looked up to McComb and looked up. You right, know, right. Did. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we didn't we didn't mention it all, but he had a really tragic uh and and kind of uh, it's weird because the way he died kind of sounds like something that he would write about like one of his characters exactly. in his songs right yeah yeah i mean uh you know i guess might as well mention it now but he um he he uh, you know it's almost like he died of a broken heart right he uh he ended up having um heart failure and had a heart transplant and um subsequently also was dealing with substance abuse and things like that and uh, in 1997 Basically, his you know he had a car accident, and um, and then died a few days later from that. And right. the the coroner's ruling on the on the death, I guess, was a mix of both heroin and alcohol toxicity, but also the rejection of his heart transplant. Right, right. And he had talked to friends about it too that he was afraid that that his body was rejecting his heart oh and that God. he wouldn't last long. And um, he just had health issues throughout so much of his life too. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, uh, yeah, sad. Like I said, a sad ending, but definitely, yeah, sounds like could have been like a character in his own song, totally like this uh, next one, Life of Crime, which is like a twisted love. It's a love song, but it's a twisted love song. And I don't know. I, I can't remember the clip I have if I'm going to get to it, but I'm, if not, I'm going to play it after because it's got a great bridge in it, too. A great musical bridge in this one. Uh, but let's listen to Life of Crime.
So I didn't get, but I'm, I'm going to play it underneath. I'm going to play the uh, bridge uh, more because, yes, yeah, it's, it's really great. I mean, you know, this is how it is, Eric. We can't play. I'm not playing full songs, but hopefully people will listen to this. And if you think you dig it, you definitely go and get the whole uh, album and listen to it because it really is great. Yeah. And, uh, and well worth listening to uh, in, uh, on a road trip. Um, yeah. To it on like, it's, it's a great driving record, too. But, yeah, Life of Crime, it's like kind of almost one of the more traditional sounding songs in a way. Like it's got this sort of bluesy, soulful sound to it. Right, right, right. You know, but again, it's like dark. It's got this dark theme. And, you know, I think like one of the differences with like him and Nick Cave is, and I love Nick Cave. I love the Bad Seeds. Um, But like Nick Cave is very much like hits you over the head. And, you know, it's like there's this amazing power and like, but it is like this sort of, brutal beating you down almost with Nick Cave songs. And I think with Dave McComb, one of the differences was there was like so much more of these like literary references. Yes. And, yes. and like much more like subtleties in there. And, you know, I know he was super into writers like Flannery O'Connor, um, a lot of poets and just didn't want to go for the obvious. Like none of these songs are like obvious. No, no. And it does. Yeah. You, uh, you're completely right. Cause it does come through in the lyrics and I see the literary and, and you know, something, uh, just a side note real quick. I don't know if you, are, are you familiar with the uh, tragically hip at all? And I, uh, we did an episode a couple of months ago with that. I remember hearing that. I, I, I know some of the music, but not the time. Okay. Well, I didn't know them, but it's, it's funny in going over this album. It, I definitely saw similarities just in the case that they were, you know, they were well known and revered in Canada. Canada, but you know basically uh, unknown here and uh, so sort of like the same thing this this band uh, a beloved in their home you know Australia but virtually unknown elsewhere and very earnestly delivered uh, clearly sung narrative songs with a lot of like literary references which they had as well and then the musicality so I just saw like something the, the same like some of these bands you know like, like you said they sort of uh, come to being in in their isolated area they are and that's a, a big part. It becomes a, a big part of them, how they are. And, and I think a band, you know, like either of these bands, like when you're true to yourself and you're writing the music you want to make and playing the way you want to play and you're not thinking about what's the next big hit. Right, right, right. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and in some cases, like, you know, especially if you go on to like the Triffids final album, The Black Swan, that album was supposed to be this double sprawling album that had, you know, hip hop references. It had Madonna references, Pet Shop oh, wow. Boys. It had, you know, like epic ballads. It had tango and it was all over the place. And, and Island Records was like, nope, not going to be a double. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a single and you know and right after they did born sandy devotional like here they are they're like trying to get the big major label right. um what do they do but they go back to australia and record their next album live to eight track in a sheep shearing shed uh-huh. um 
Wow. And and just like to, basically, it's like they did what they wanted to do, right? And right. and I think that's what makes so many of these bands, and I think a lot of the bands that you know your guests and listeners of this podcast feel is like you know there's these records that are by these bands that are just doing what they want to do and couldn't care less about the big picture, right? You know? Oh yeah, yeah, and that's something. Yeah, that's very endearing and uh i love it you know it, it's great and i love the discovering bands like this uh all right so this next one personal thing speaking of other bands are you a stranglers fan at all a fan of the stranglers a little bit yeah okay some for some reason this song gives me a 80s era uh stranglers vibe uh for sure mm. personal thing so i don't know uh let's do it and other people maybe uh are more familiar maybe agree with me or say i'm full of shit but let's listen to a little bit of personal things Scarf that she wore, a rinse in her head, a blister and undersized shoe. Her name on a tear that can't be washed off. They said a table for two. I think she wore red, I believe she wore black. Any color you mentioned but blue. Any number of colors under the sun. such a great song this is probably like one of my favorite songs on the record and and yeah it's just the the sound i think that the piano and the bass and the yeah i hear the circular chords yeah yeah I, I i hear the strangers but man just i'm gonna play it also because again the final uh, verse and chorus and the outro music is just so sublime it's like great it's so good yeah yeah, I, again, like even a song that's as simple as, as this one is and as minimal, you know, it's like there's just so much going on. Yeah, right, right. You know, and, and it's just like this sort of a haunting song. And, you know, I totally hear what you said about the Stranglers. So as soon as you said that, then I heard the beginning come in with the organ. And yeah, the yeah, bass, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. You know, it probably was something they had heard and listened to, you know, something off those first couple of Stranglers albums. Right, right. All right. So now we get the uh, the uh, penultimate track. And this is the epic. I feel like even though uh, um, uh, there there is a, there are a few epics, but this is the longest song in the album and kind of the epic. Let's uh, yeah, let's listen to a little bit and then we can discuss it. Stolen property.
It just yeah, it takes its time. This song. Uh, what do you think about this song, Eric? I love it. I mean, it's like almost got a Scott Walker vibe to it. Like, oh you know, yeah, yeah. Got a little bit of like the Van Morrison feel, which you definitely get Van Morrison in some of his other songs, like after this record, and you know. But it's just such a beautiful slow build, and it's just like the thing I really love with the song is. You know the way it starts off so sparse, and he builds and he builds. And you know, if you have the opportunity to play, you know, the end of the song at some point, what it it has this the way the song builds and builds. It's almost like the tide coming in and out, and the tide coming in and out. And then at the very end, the way the music swells and drops and swells and drops, it just has this total like feel of the ocean. It's, oh it's, yeah, like this. I said the whole album is uh, theatrical, but this one especially, yeah. the musical outro is really yeah. uh, theatrical. When you listen to the song and the way it ends, it's kind of like, okay, this is the end of the album. This is like he, you know, it's like the obvious, like they end on this big epic, right? Right, and then it's, right, right. The, the, this song is just—it's got so much about it. It's got so much into it. You know, it's. It's just, and, and live versions of it too are just like as epic as you would imagine. And, you know, even without like all the layers and layers that they could add in the studio, just what they could do as a, as a six piece band live. Right, right. And, and yeah, and, and as uh, majestic as it sounds, the lyrics are uh, bitter. I mean, they're, they're yeah. very <laughs> bitter lyrics. You just lie around waiting on a signal from heaven. You never had to heal any deep incisions, darling. You are not moving any mountains. You are not seeing any right. visions. You are not freeing any people from prison. Just an aphorism for every occasion. It's like, yeah, those are bitter lyrics. <laughs> yeah, it's like this is the argument to like know when to walk away from that relationship. Yeah, know? right, right. <laughs> like, 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 yeah, you aren't doing all that. You aren't, you know, everything. It's again, it's like unrequited love. It's like that idea of having these like sort of imagined expectations or hopes of what this person might be. And then maybe this realization of like they're not they're not all that like, right 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 it's still not what I want yeah and and as you said this could this could have been the last song on the album but no they got we got one more uh, vocal turn from Jill which I think was smart of him to make this like the last song of the album uh, and and it sort of works and then he joins in at the end but uh, but it's cool I yeah. like it let's listen to a little bit of tender is the night the long fidelity. I knew him as a gentle Watched him. 
Yeah, so you were, you were right when you said she's just got this innocent, sweet voice that really works. But I'm going to play underneath because he comes in, he joins her, and, and, and it's very, it's just, it, it just works very well. They're both voices singing those last, uh, the last lyric. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like becomes the conversation. Yes, you know, right, right. Them. You know, it's like that, the, that they sing like, you know, baby, let's go out tonight. The line, you know, but where, you, but where you are, it'll just be getting light. Yeah. So, you know, they're, it's like they're talking to each other. Maybe they're talking on the phone. Maybe she's at one end of the country. He's at the other. Right. You know, but like ultimately it's like this idea of like, okay, who, you know, what, what do you really want? Right. You know, like, are you okay just staying at home? Do you just want to go out and be with your, you know, your partner? Not so worried about like going to the club, but. But just like this idea of like you know, let's go out tonight. Yeah, let's, I don't know. There, it's it's such a, a sweet song, and it's such a a nice sort of way to end the record after the intensity of you know of the song before it, and of you know the fact that they that they duet on it in the end, and you and it's got this warm feeling. Like his voice has got a warm feel. It doesn't have that sort of. The, the baritone, the bombast that he has in some Right, right. Yes, yes. It's very, yeah, it's very uh, low-key. And like you said, it, it it's like a conversation between them both. Yeah. And then you got the, yeah, just the strings and the keyboards at the end. It's uh, beautiful. It's just really yeah. a beautiful album closer. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those things when, you know, like, you could see somebody, like, if this was on a major label, they would be like, no, no, no. Take that song off. Don't, ah. don't <laughs> right. you know, like you're, you're, you know, why, why, why do you want that? That's to throw away. And it's not, it's like, it serves its purpose. It's like, this is the epilogue, you know? Yeah. Like you, you know, you've gotten through the whole story and then now you get this and this is, this is like how things sort of end. And you can't quite say it's the happy ending per se, but you know. No, 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 not at all. But, uh, oh man, what a great, uh, uh, Eric, I, I have to thank you. Uh, what a great album to bring in and something, you know, that I, of course, once again, never heard of. And just what a great uh, surprise, you know, and I hope uh, a lot of other people get turned on uh, to the Triffids and especially this album. Uh, it was yeah. great. Thank, so, thank you, you for having me. I, I loved getting to talk about it. And it's been like, it's amazing that after all this time, you know, you, we all have our favorite albums that we listen to. And, I, you know, I've always said this has like been in one of my, you know, top 10 lists of like top 10 albums of all time. And, there you go. and it's, it's nice to be able to go back to it and listen to it and still hear everything that you heard and still find new things in there, like that it just resonates. And that I hope for other people that are new to it, it'll resonate with them. Uh, you know, I just it. wonder what, what they were like, like people that went to go see Echo and the Bunnymen on the Ocean Rain Tour and had the Triffids open for them. Oh, and <laughs> what did people think? Did, did right. that audience get it? Oh, you know? man. Um, yeah, that's great. But and that's that's what the show is all about, people. That's what uh, the show is all about. So don't forget if uh, if you want to follow the show, stay in touch with everything that's going on on Instagram and Facebook. It's at that record got me high. Also, that Facebook group got me high is a lot of fun. Facebook group on Twitter. It's at TRGMH podcast. You could email me if you want to you know, say anything. I get I get uh, nice emails. Just occasionally I get uh you know, uh, annoying emails, but mostly uh, I would say 95% of the emails are nice. Uh, TRGMH33 at gmail.com. Don't forget, most importantly, if you want to become a patron like Eric uh, is, you can go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH. I'd really appreciate it. Other than that, uh, whatever you listen on, just don't forget to subscribe. That helps out. Write a re review of the show, uh, rate it, uh, you know, you do you. Uh, but I really appreciate all of you. And Eric, uh, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. 
you coming on the show. Thanks again for having me, and um, I uh, look forward to the next uh, patron episode. Uh, those are always such fun and yeah. such a challenge. I usually do every. I, everything that you say not to do is I overthink it to the point where then I miss the deadline. And oh, then, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, know, you just can't do that, Eric. You just got to yeah. say screw it and just do it and just do a song. Yeah, yeah you can't. I know. You, you aren't the only one. Believe me, people tell me that all the time. They go, I, sure. I, 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 I had a song and then I was uh, overthinking it and then I never did it. But that, that, that's, <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, I'm going to announce one soon. Uh, you can take part in the patron episodes by becoming a patron of the show. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Eric. We'll see you all next week. I'm Rob Elba. We're out of here. Think you're still by my side. I reach out just to touch you. Then I realize it's a wide open road. It's a wide open road. Now you can go anywhere that you It's a wild